The future is most definitely now. Welcome to 8Base Radio, an interactive show featuring technology trends, top business leaders, and upcoming events in the business world. 8Base Radio is hosted by 8Base founder and CEO, Albert Santalo, a serial entrepreneur and angel investor with a passion for disrupting traditional business models. Now, here is Albert and your 8Base Radio team on 880 AM, The Biz. Good afternoon. This is Albert Santolo, founder and CEO of 8Base. And we've got a very, very special session for everybody today. One of my favorite people is in the room here with me today. Uh, and we have a couple of uh, folks. I, th I think it's two folks. It might be just one calling in uh, who were with us over the weekend, which I'll introduce in a moment. But uh, before I do that, let me introduce Andre Anisimov. Welcome, Andre. Hi. Hi, Albert. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let me explain to everybody why Andre is special. So Andre is 8Base's Vice President of Technology. Uh, I'll let him talk about himself and talk a little bit about how we met. But I guess, Andre, at this point, you and I have known each other for more than a year and a half, almost two years probably, yep. right? And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Uh, Andre's Russian, so I will let him... Tell us a little bit about his background and how he came to the United States. Sure, yeah. So, uh, you know, my name is Andrei Anisimov, as, as Albert already introduced me. And um, I came, I'm originally from Russia. I, I originally grew up in far, very far eastern uh, region of Russia near China and, and Japan. And then I graduated uh, with a computer science degree from St. Petersburg. University St. Petersburg, Russia, not not Florida, <laughs> and then and then important distinction. <laughs> and then I moved to to the U.S. in 2011, and I pretty much uh, I I lived originally in the New York area, and then I moved to Florida, and I lived for several years already. Been living in Florida, um, uh, but I've been my, my relationship with the United States uh, started even before that because even living in Russia, I already had a had a business, we, we developed enterprise software for mostly American clients. Yeah, yeah, that's how you got started. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's talk, talk about Andre the man before we get into Andre the professional. So, what you know, first of all, where when, when I learned about where you were from, it was, for me, it was staggering because <laughs> I think, you know, we as as people who live in the United States think of, think of Russians, we have, there's a little bit of a stereo, stereotype uh, and it's probably Russians from Eastern, uh, I'm sorry, from from Western Russia. Yeah. Right, from the Moscow area yeah. that we typically would stereotype. But you were, you lived in a place that was very, very far. If I'm not mistaken, it was eight hour flight. From, from Moscow. From, from Moscow to where you lived. Correct. So yeah. it was a lot closer to Japan. And once upon a time, we were actually sitting around and I drew a line on the map from Moscow to where you're from, and it was about 10,000 kilometers, which is almost the distance if you if you drew a, a line from Miami to where you were from. <laughs> yeah. So you know Russia is the largest country in the world, so it's unbelievable. You know what a what a expansive landscape. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, leaving there. I actually so I for, for the first time. In my life, I visited Moscow when I think I was 18 years old or something like that. So I, I actually traveled to China and Japan before I traveled to Moscow. Wow. So 
my connection so in russia is, is a bit more centralized than than the u.s in terms of you have uh the, the source of the russian culture essentially is moscow and say in st petersburg and then kind of the entire russia lives by this culture unlike in the u.s where you have you know multiple cult- cultural cen- centers sure. so i was kind of growing up there um uh, watching all these movies produced in Moscow about Moscow, about mo- mo- you know people from Moscow, problems in Moscow, and I always felt kind of disconnected. And to me, you know, both kind of Russian culture and and you know maybe American culture or, or Western European culture, they were kind of equally distant. In terms of, you know, when you live somewhere that far from everything, uh, you don't have a, a very strong link. With sure. even your own native native culture, so maybe that's that's the reason why I'm kind of you know, I consider myself more a, a citizen of the world, and that's why I traveled a lot and, and moved to the U.S. Uh, because because of this essentially factor. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And and Andre, part of your traveling a lot is you were a musician, or, or, <laughs> or are a musician, but you were like a professional musician, right? Yeah, yeah. There, there, it was a long time ago, but but yeah, there was a time about you know 10, 10 15 years from ago that if if you ask me you know who, who I identify myself as I would say a musician not a not a software developer interesting yeah so so what that, type of musician were you uh I was I was playing guitar mostly electric guitar and I was into into rock and metal music so I I, I actually I was in many many different bands uh, until uh, one day I joined a band that actually made it you know pretty big in in Russian uh, metal rock scene so uh, so yeah, around 2009, 2008-2009, uh, we, we traveled pretty extensively. And, and at the same time, I was still developing. I developed in software. I was, I was writing code for a website and, and different things we, we did for the band. Uh, but I primarily identify myself as, as, as a musician. Interesting. Like and you, the, the, the name of the band? Uh, the band's name is Stigmata. Great. And Stigmata did pretty well. I mean, Stigmata was a popular... When you guys would show up at concerts, how many people would show up? Uh, yeah, we so we had a concert. I think at the peak, we, we had um, two days in a row sold out 2,000 people every day. So it's, it's 4,000 pe- people in St. Petersburg. And we had tours, uh, 60, 60 shows in a row, every day a show. So it's two months nonstop. You play wow. concert every day. So I got to travel. I got to see pretty much every major city in Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Estonia, Latvia, all these countries surrounding surrounding Russia. So yeah, it was a, it was a pretty interesting experience for sure. And you traveled by bus? Uh, yeah, we traveled by bus, by train, uh, and by by air, but mostly by by our own tour bus. And it's you know unlike, unlike uh, United States, United States is is a pretty you know it's significantly more populated and developed than Russia. So the distances between cities sure. here are, are much shorter. So you kind of, you drive, you know, three, four hours in Russia. Uh, it's usually you play the show after the show, you go on the bus and drive the entire night. And then next morning you're, you're in the city. So sleeping on the bus, that was, uh, that was pretty hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. And you guys had like 300,000 fans. I want to say, like you, you mentioned a number to me at some point. Um, yeah, I mean, th- there's no really uh, a, a way to measure it precisely because back then it was the internet uh, communities were not as developed as right. they now. So m- uh, more things happened offline. We still, I remember we still made money from selling CDs, yeah. which, which is bizarre now, but, but it was like that. So I'd say, yeah, it's probably several hundred thousand uh, fans total. 
Great. And and what so you were you were even when you were a musician, you were still you were beginning your career as a software developer and you studied software development, correct? Correct. Yes. So I, I actually wrote my first line of code, I, I believe, at the age of seven or so, seven, nine. Um, I, I was I was lucky enough to have a, a computer very early. So when the. When uh, nobody pretty much where I grew up, nobody had computers. My, my father somehow got, you know, he bought a PC. And we had a friend of a family who was much older than me. He was already studying in, in college. And he, was, he, he came to, uh, to use a computer to write simple programs. And then I would just sit nearby and, and watch him do it. And when he leaves, I would open his programs, change different things, and, and see what happens. See if they break or if, <laughs> if something will, will be painted differently. So that's, that's how I pretty much started. And then um, and you fell in love with it. Yeah, I fell in love. I, I was it was my hobby throughout my my whole life. And then um, I, I think in two thousand one, I went to study in Saint Petersburg. I was seventeen years old. I went to Saint Petersburg to study computer science, and pretty much uh, that's that's where I kind of started started studying prof- you know coding professionally, and then uh, getting the first job in Saint Petersburg. Great, and and how was that experience in St. Petersburg as a city? Um, well, St. Petersburg is 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 extremely beautiful city during the summer. I, I'd say it's it's very comparable to Paris um, in terms of like the the architecture. Um, it's pretty cold during the, the winter, and it's also uh, it's pretty north, so the nights are very short there. Yeah, and so during the winter is actually pretty depressive in in my view. The days are short in the winter. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, days are shorter in winter and nights are almost non-existent in, in the summer. Yeah. So we in St. Petersburg, there is a phenomenon called white nights. Yes, is around. Uh, it peaks around June, ju- end of June, beginning of July. It's you. Pre- it pretty much never gets dark. But on the, on the flip side, uh, during the winter, uh, you wake up at you know at ten a.m. and it's still dark. <laughs> so it's it's pretty depressing. In Saint Petersburg, unlike Moscow, Moscow is a business capital of Russia. Moscow is fast paced, you know, pretty much like New York. Uh, while Saint Petersburg is more, um, it's more lethargic, more poetic. Uh, more people have depression there. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where I went there yeah. to Saint Petersburg specifically because it was a ca- it was a rock capital of Russia. Ah, it got so, you. So yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, so so you mentioned movies a few a few minutes ago. <laughs> so I, I I always had this crazy thought, which is, in Russia, do they make movies where the Americans are the bad guys? Um, let me think. Because <laughs> you know, here they, you know, Russians tend to be pretty good bad guys in movies. Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting question because you know you ask me and 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 I'm. St- I struggle to remember every single Russian movie where Americans would be bad guys. Uh, on the other hand, what you know, uh, since since I can remember myself, since my childhood, I was always even in Russia. I watched movies that would, were fully translated in Russian, but Russians were always bad guys. Right, right, right. So it's kind of weird. It's it's it, you watch a movie where superheroes were positive, were good characters. They speak Russian because movies in Russia are fully. Uh, uh, dubbed or uh, translated basically uh, in Russian and so you see some Arnold Schwarzenegger or some other guys uh, speaking Russian killing Russians which that's crazy 
<laughs> that's, it's pretty, it's that's, pretty that's weird. That's crazy. You know, it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, 8Base has Russians. It has people whose, you know, first language is English, and it has Hispanics. And so oftentimes you have, we have all three languages being spoken. And, uh, you know, you, you, you know this, Andre, right? I kid around sometimes saying it feels like a James Bond movie. Yeah. <laughs> day to day. But truthfully, I've never met a Russian that I felt was a bad guy. And so I, I just wondered because it just goes to show you, you know, sort, sort of how the propaganda machine works. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, you know, it's sad to see because uh, I, I know Russia from a totally different side. Uh, and it's, it definitely has problems, but I, 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 majority of people that I grew up with and I personally know and my relatives and friends, they are definitely not bad guys. They're, they're, a lot of them are very smart individuals. Uh, they, they share same core values as, as you know, American people. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, a group of bad actors yeah. can can always, uh, I guess... Well, and that's true of any culture, right? Exactly. There's, there's bad people everywhere, and there's good people everywhere. Yeah, it's just unfortunately, uh, in, uh, in the U.S., uh, the media mostly focusing on those on that small group yeah. of bad actors and, and not the rest of people yeah. who are actually pretty, are pretty good. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I certainly, my experience with Russians has been phenomenal so far, thanks to you primarily, Andre. Well, yeah, Cuba, Cuba, Cubans and Russians are, have, a, have a long history. <laughs> we won't go into that, but yes, absolutely. So, um, you, so you, you came to the United States, you married an American, yep. right? And you've been here for six years, which, by the way, is sort seven. of extraordinary. Seven years, yeah, now. It's sort, sort of extraordinary how, how well Andre commands the English language, and it's just very, very American, for lack of a better word, even though you've been here only only seven years. Um, so you have your artistic side, and then you have your logical side because of what you do. How do you think this sort of uh, right brain, left brain interaction within you helps you to do what you do, helps 8Base to achieve what it's trying to achieve, and uh, and how does it play into software development in general? Sure. Um, well, I guess I can start with with the fact that I'm I'm not fully based on my personal experience. I don't see that distinction that clearly as it portrayed in popular science, because what I've so I, I was a musician, meaning I was a hardcore musician. That was my job. Um, I, that's the only way I made money, etc. So I was on the studios recording albums, etc. And and what I found is that uh, in this process there is so many steps that are totally logical, that are that are very very similar to software development. Especially now, um, uh, music is so technologically enabled. Yep. Essentially, writing music and coding from from the outside observer, it looks the same. It's a dude sitting in front of the computer and. Uh, and, and that's what I did. So uh, the creative side is just conceptualizing the, the idea, the core melody of the song, for example. But from there, it's mostly logical. It's mostly, the, so for example, arrangement, figuring out what instruments play what, yes. it's, it's governed by a lot of uh, logical, very well-defined rules that people study in, in colleges and universities. And, and um, for untrained observer, for somebody who is not a, you know, a musician you listen to a song and it's kind of like magic but for me i can tell that 
there is a core melody. That's the creative side. That that's where uh, that's something that you can't kind of force. It just comes to you. But then from there, everything else is pretty much production that works work of a producer of somebody who creates the arrangement of a song, breaks down the instruments, and it's a lot of copy paste. You know, just like in coding. That's really interesting. It's when you create. Most uh, people do not know this. Yeah, especially modern music. Modern music uh, looks less like uh, playing instruments, more uh, drawing uh, drawing beats on a grid in a, inside of a program in music sequencer. It's called sequencer, the program that allows you to record music, and then you you write a you you paint this beat, and then you can copy it and you can paste it 10 times and that's how you get it to repeat and then you, you can add something more to it later. Sure. But it's very, very technical, very logical process. So at least a music, you know, music in, involves a lot of math, a lot of counting, a lot of counting beats plus counting um, the, 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 the notes themselves. So um, I feel that, that on the flip side of this, um, People who are not deep into certain professions, they tend to kind of, uh, their, their perception is superficial in terms of, they think, oh, being a musician is so cool, it's so creative, you get to create, yep. while being a businessman or being a software developer is somewhat boring. It's something, it's more like, okay, you just uh, do a task. We're, this is totally wrong. I think software development, especially building product like Abase, is an extremely creative endeavor. And I, I'd say that, I don't really see that this is le- what we do right now is any less creative than than being a musician. Yeah, I think I, I I think you just articulated something that most people do not know, and I think you articulated incredibly well. Um, you know, I you and I have often spoken about how software is as much art as it is science, especially now. Yeah. Um, you, if you're trying to win with software, you have to captivate somebody emotionally. No different than you would with music, right? Exactly, exactly, and and uh, th- that's another piece where um, pe- people tend to people kind of tend to think that. So, so what is software? Software is something that uh, humans can interact with. So, essentially, a software interface, uh, a, a user interface, is a is essentially an interface in the human brain, right? If you if you think about it, so how how can this be not not creative in terms of sure. finding ways be, because human perception uh, and and hu- human perception of reality is such a complex uh, process you definitely need to you definitely have have a huge creative space in terms of how do you approach solving this problem yes no absolutely very very well said andre so tell us about well let, let's talk a little bit about how you and i met <laughs> sure. Okay. Which was interesting. So if I if I rewind the clock, I want to say it was like March of 2017, and I went to an event related to the Emerge Conference. Um, I went at the behest of one of my friends who was sponsoring, and uh, we were there having cocktails. And all of a sudden, you and I were introduced, and I remember that I wasn't talking about what Apex was. We were a little bit in stealth mode at the time. Yeah. And so you and I were chit chatting. You were telling me what you did which at the time you had a consultancy uh, writing software. And if I remember correctly, I asked you, Andre, have you ever thought about maybe your business could be automated? 
yeah. and you immediately like you know you you got like this really really excited look on your face and said absolutely <laughs> uh and have you ever heard of a company called bubble that's what you told me and yeah. i said yeah I, I absolutely have heard about bubble and because uh, bubble for those people that don't know bubble is sort of a software development environment uh, for certain types of applications and uh and i said andre so uh, what do you, what is it you want to do? And you said, well, I'd like to be, I'd like to find another, a co-founder and start a product company. And I said, well, interesting, Andre. So do me a favor. Look, if you're interested in having a discussion, look me up. <laughs> Here's my card. Look me up. I can't really tell you what we're doing yet, but maybe, uh, if we, if we're really interested, then we can go further on the discussion. And I remember the next day, you sent me a note and you, 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 you said, so they told me, they told me that you were this important guy, but I didn't realize you had a Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. It's... So let's talk. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, uh, from there, well, tell us, tell us how, how, what were, what were your thoughts? And, and sure. You know, once we, once we talked about what we were, what we were really doing. But, but I guess, uh, I'm going to rewind a bit because, it's it's important to know how how I kind of got to this yes, to this idea, is so I, I had a consultancy where we built enterprise apps, for for mostly U.S. businesses, small small medium some large businesses, and I had teams of developers in Eastern Europe, and we basically were executing those projects, and I built I'd say over a hundred of those enterprise apps, and they do all types of things, starting from managing you know parking spaces at the airport to managing chips in slot machines in, in casinos, right? And every time, uh, what I realized is that 80% of the project was the same stuff. User management, authentication, role-based security, uh, persistence, file management, all, the, all these things were absolutely identical across the board. And then I thought, then, you know, why do we, why do we keep, uh, keep building it over and over again? And then at the same time, uh, I had a marketing team who who helped me to uh, to basically br- uh, build a community around around the services we offer, and we started doing a, a program where I interview different entrepreneurs from from all over the world, people who who, who try to find a found a startup, but they are non technical, and they have to find uh, technical talent or technical co founder, and basically I was offering them an, a free advice in exchange for sharing their experience working with developers. And I was blown away by it. First Is of all, right? I got tell, I got, tell us. I got I got a lot of demand for this. So I, I, I had about twenty five calls in a in a period of, of, of one month from with people from all over the world, Australia, Singapore, Europe, everywhere. And they were sharing these horror stories, literally how they would hire a team of developers, they would find them somewhere on Upwork and, and they would send them send them money and then they would disappear or they would constantly delay the project. And I, I just, I have, I have it all documented. It's literally horror stories. I have, a, I spoke with a lady who, who lost her house because she, oh she got us, she got a second mortgage to, to, to build a system and then developers disappeared. And so I was like, Oh my God, I did, I didn't even know how bad this is uh, because uh, when I developed systems, yeah, we did have some challenges, but generally they, they were all, the projects were all successful. Yes. I didn't know that uh, the, the overall quality is much lower in, in this market. And, and so this 
the combination of these two things, uh, they, they made it obvious that there is a need for some solution that removes the risk from software development. There is like urgent or super, super urgent need, yep. not just some need. It's a people. It's a pain for many, many, many people. And and that's well. And what and what business doesn't require software today? Exactly. Everybody does, right? So it's becoming a bigger problem. Exactly, be, be, because we were general um, uh, general enterprise development. We were building stuff for businesses of completely different industries, and and yet the main components of the of all those systems were the same. Yeah. So. So absolutely, I, I've, this taught me, I, I've been doing it for many years, so this taught me that uh, every business needs software, uh, the software solutions are, are similar at the core, and that the only different thing, the only difference between them is actual business domain model and business processes that are unique to each business. That's right. Uh, uh, so so that, that's, that's in essence what we built at Apex, you know, you, me, and the, and the team. So, so yeah, exactly. So, so when I when I met you, it was it was uh, such a coincidence because I was I was thinking I'm like, hmm, I'm I don't really see me uh, keep doing the, the consultancy because I feel it's I can achieve significantly higher, significantly larger impact if I if I build something that takes risk away. At least part of this risk takes away from this from this process. And so when I met you, and without even telling you what I want to build. You you told me that you want to build exactly the thing I want to build. I'm like, exactly. what a coincidence! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, that would, but I think it's destiny, maybe not a yeah. coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> I'll look at it that way. But that you know, this is this has worked out really well so far. You know, Andre. I, I don't want to speak for him, but I really enjoy working with him. And uh, you know, I'm a little bit. I don't want to say I'm a dinosaur because it's probably not the right word. But I'm certainly not a person who codes anymore. I have lots and lots of opinions about how the product should work. And I have lots of experience standing up solutions. Uh, but Andre compliments me extremely well in the sense that if we think it up, he and his team can build it very, very well, very effectively, very quickly, and right the first time, which is rare. In my experience, it's rare to find people that you work that well with. Yeah, and, and I think the fact that your experience spans um, a pretty significant period of time and that you are not really deep into some specific uh, technology or set of just modern technologies, this is a big advantage because developers, especially young developers, they tend to think that the, the tools that they're working with are, are like kind of like godsend, that that's, that's it, that's the ultimate solution. While people who saw the evolution they understand, they see that we're just somewhere in the evolutionary press process. Yep. The tools that we use right now are not perfect. There will be tools invented 10 years from now that much better. And that uh, it, it becomes much clearer that there is a lots of opportunity to improve versus uh, be religious about uh, current approaches that exist in the market today. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. And we, we have a... a time before the break for for one more uh question what what is your you know you know where we started you know where we've come eight bases now in the market as a beta product we'll talk a little bit about our experience this weekend after the break um but what's your vision for where we're going and, um, and, and in the process of that what do you want to achieve 
Um, so yeah, just like you said, we just released it. Um, currently, we're in beta. We collect and feedback. Our goal right now is to see how we can improve the product to to make it very useful for uh, front end developers. But I think the the ultimate vision is uh, simplifying development of business applications, taking the risk out of this process, and giving more people uh, power to build those apps, especially people who are not necessarily developers, but business people who are familiar with with the actual product, with with the actual problem, with the actual uh, business case better than anyone else. But currently, they just can't, they don't have power to do it. They have to work through intermediaries, through developers, through managers. Giving them power, I think that's the ultimate goal that will dramatically accelerate um, digital transformation. Yeah. So, so with that, Andre, thank you for that answer. We're going we're gonna to take a quick break. This has been a great first half hour. And we'll be back in a few moments with 8Base Radio. Sure. Thanks, Albert Andrew. and the 8Base team return in moments with more 8Base Radio here on 880 AM, The Biz. Hey, everybody, Ed Martinez from Front and Center on 880 The Biz. I love bringing 15 years of experience, passion, and knowledge of the law to you, my listeners. Now I'm doing even more for you. I can bring all that to you personally. If you've got any legal matters, criminal or civil, call me at the Martinez Law Center, 786-567-8757. That's 786-567-8757. Now you can benefit from my personalized attention and results-driven passion and justice. 786-567-8757. The initial consultation is free. If your business needs money and needs it fast, up to $250,000, One Capital Funding can help. For any credit score above 500, we have a 90% loan approval rate. And you can have the money within seven days. It's simple and fast. There is never an upfront cost or collateral required. All it takes is a three-minute phone call. Call 786-290-4689 or visit us at OneCapitalFunding.com. That's OneCapitalFunding.com. Or call us 786-290-4689. I know 4689 One Capital Funding Rocket Fuel for your business. Hello, everyone. This is Judge Anna Pando, retired county court judge, political and community activist for practically a lifetime. Tune in to my new show, And Justice for All, every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Power-packed, fun, and informative discussion of issues that affect your everyday life. For all your legal needs, accidents, slip and falls, criminal matters, and any other legal needs you may have, call me. I will fight and help you in the same courts where I imparted justice for all. Remember, call Judge Pando at 833-X-JUDGE, 833-395-833. If you're looking for a new car without the new car price, head to Durrell Lincoln and check out their inventory of certified pre-owned Lincolns. Here's GM Miguel Otero. Here at Durrell Lincoln, we have a reconditioning center where I have some of the best certified mechanics that go above and beyond to make sure that we're putting out the best quality vehicle. And with that, the manufacturer will also extend the warranty to a four-year 50000 on all our certified vehicles that are 2013 on up. Pick out your certified pre-owned Lincoln today at Durrell Lincoln. Discover the Doral Lincoln difference. Here's a question. What is the best place for cigars of the entire Southeast? Answer, Cuban Crafters here in the heart of Little Havana. The largest cigar choices you can imagine. Hundreds of the top labels in the world. Hand-rolled on location from H. Upman to Rocky Patel to the great Miami brand. That's a Cuban Crafters original. Have Al Gutman, George, and the team treat you to the finest cigars and a free Cuban coffee. Cuban Crafters, 3604 Northwest 7th Street. 3604 Northwest 7th Street. You can also call them 305-573-0222 or go to their great website, cubancrafters.com. Cuban Crafters, the Radio home of front and center. Now back to Albert Santalo and the 8Base team here on 880 AM, The Biz. 
Hi, this is Albert Santola. We're back uh, for the bottom of the, the, the half hour, uh, 8 Base Radio. We're here with Andrea Nisimov. And we also have Chris Woodle and Chris Wiley. Did I pronounce those names correctly? <laughs> uh, Chris Willie. Chris Willie. Yes. Welcome, guys. Yep. yep. Hi, thanks to have Thanks to be here. Hi, guys. So, um, hey, how are you? Good, good, good. So, so uh, Andre, um, we're we're going to introduce the two Chris's here in a moment, uh, and and why they're here. I, quick question for you related to to eight base, and that'll segue right into the rest of the conversation. Is tell us a little bit about who eight base is directed to. Like, who's the user? Who's the customer? And how does it work exactly? And sure. why? And why is that in, that important? Sure. So um, the the modern web application uh, traditionally consists of a front end and a back end. Front end is where the user interface is, is what users interact with. It could live in your browser or it can live on your mobile device. Um, and the back end is where the data is stored. The data, the files, permissions, it's, it's, it's what supplies those client applications, the front end applications with data. So 8Base product is fully automates the backend part. So traditionally, um, currently, to build an entire application, you need to have a front-end developers and, and back-end developers on the team. And they t- usually they are um, pretty different personalities. They don't work together well sometimes. And um, front-end developers, they're kind of closer to the user, closer to the requirements to the user interface. And they, but they are dependent on backend developers to expose the data they need in the way they need it and to make it fast, efficient, bug-free. And that's where the, a lot of friction is happening. So we are essentially giving front-end developer the power to build the entire application without relying on backend developers, DevOps professionals. Uh, and it, from the client perspective, for the ultimate uh, client that, that orders the application to be built, it reduces the size of the team, the um, expense, the, the cost of the project, and the risks. And the number of handoffs, because each one of those handoffs can be very, very inefficient. Exactly, exactly. And and the problem is that um, usually uh, tasks performed by backend developers are, are highly complex, and they're more um, kind of hardcore from the developer p- point of view. Um, it's usually quite, you know, it's quite uh, difficult dealing with backend developers because they feel overwhelmed and they feel like they constantly have a pipeline of, of requests that they can't process. And, and you speak as an authority because you're essentially a backend developer or you could say a full stack developer, but certainly you're, you, you're oriented towards being a backend developer. It's, I'd say I'm, I'm more agnostic because my role tra- traditionally been managing teams and, and, and dealing with this and be more like an, an intermediary between yeah. backend and, and frontend developers, making sure they work efficiently. So I pretty much was in the middle of that friction because I had to hire both frontend and backend developers and then make them you know, work together. Yeah. And, and ApeBase may still require backend developers um, in the sense that you know, there, there's a lot of things that front that backend developers do, which is work that could easily be done by a front end developer. But there are some things that probably require specific skill sets, I would guess, in certain in certain applications that would be built. 
Exactly. And I mean, if you think about it, the whole separation between backend and frontend is the reason for that is because there is so much stuff to do on the backend that you can pretty much build your whole entire career of, yeah. on the backend. But if tools are better, if things, uh, if common things are already built, if you don't have to rebuild them from scratch, then you know what? Maybe we don't even need that separation. Right. Maybe you can have just a developer and this person has power to do everything end That's to right. end. Yeah, that makes total sense. And so Andre, um, switching gears here a little bit. So the 8Base product went live into beta a little over a month ago. And uh, people have been using it. But this weekend, something very interesting happened, right? We, uh, we participated in the UHack Hackathon, which was sponsored by the University of Miami. And um, we, know, we sponsored it. Yeah. We did not participate. Yeah, we participated <laughs> as a sponsor. That's, that's an important distinction. So we didn't compete. But we sponsored, and we sponsored a prize for the best application, the best use of the A-based technology to build an application. So it was sort of a high-pressure situation for you. Uh, it was the first time that you know hackers who had 24 hours to deliver um, literally were dependent, and it was an option. So they didn't have to use A-based, but it was an option for them to use A-based to incorporate their solution. And um, what did that feel like going into that event? Yeah, it was. Uh, I was pretty nervous because it was a, a real stress test of the platform. Because one one thing is when you uh, when you work on a project that takes maybe weeks or months, where you can always ask questions, fix something. The the other thing is hackathon where you limited to twenty four hours, and then those guys they they depend on you. They trust yeah. that your pl platform will perform because otherwise they they just given up the chance to win a prize because of something unrelated to to their skills. So since I was there and I was personally supporting all these teams and I developed uh, you know qu quite a good personal relationship with these guys and I saw how hard they work they were there staying overnight. Uh, I took it very personal to make sure that everything uh, everything works smooth and uh, uh, we were very very pleased that for the most part. The platform worked perfectly. The, all the core functionality of the platform works work great. The only uh, things that need to be improved are documentation and all these things that... Um, yeah, a few things around permissions and, and uh, obviously we're going to continue to improve the product, but, but it, didn't, it, it wasn't catastrophic failure at the hack of thought. Yeah, it was. And, and <laughs> the best thing is uh, that several teams who used ABS actually won other prizes. That's right. Which That's which right. means which means which which includes so so includes Chris and Chris again welcome guys. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, no, our our pleasure. Thank you for joining. So these these guys um, they were like the sleeper of the competition, in my opinion. So we we had teams that we interacted with quite a bit, and you know Andre and I spent a lot of time at the hackathon over the weekend. And when it came time to judging. Honestly, you guys you guys spent I don't know, maybe half an hour with our with our team that I remember. And we sort of forgot about you. And then we showed up and we we saw your we saw what you did and we were we were astonished. So, congrats well, guys. And and you guys won the oh, uh won you. the prize money. And what why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about about yourselves and what you what you built? Sure, I, I can go first here. So uh, my, my name is Chris Will. Um, I graduated 
Spec. It's in Melbourne, Florida, uh, just last year. Uh, and I'm actually back uh, for, I'm getting my master's degree in computer engineering there. Um, I'm actually, I'm originally from St. Petersburg, Florida, which is kind of funny. <laughs> but, um, um, but anyway, so I, I, so I do, uh, besides doing, you know, hackathoning for, for my friends, including Chris, um, I do, uh, I work at a start, uh, in Droplet. Uh, and primarily, we, we work with other companies to enable IoT products into their software system and, you know, do in, in, in integrations in the, in the commercial space, stuff like adding Alexa to their product or adding, like, Google Home. It's kind of the, kind of the realm that I'm in. Um, so in that, in that, you know, space, I've done a, a fair amount of, uh, of uh, front-end development. I've done, I do a little bit of back-end stuff, so when... We kind of start. We picked up the the eight base platform. It was like it was like you know my bread and butter, that kind of stuff. So uh, anyway, go ahead, Chris. You can go ahead. Uh, so my name is Chris Lilly. I am a student at Florida Tech, working on my degree in electrical engineering, and I've been participating in these hackathons for about a year now with the same team. And uh, I've really enjoyed using the eight base platform. It gave us a good place to start. Uh, like you said, most applications have the same, you know, back-end, front-end interaction, and they're all built kind of the same way in the beginning, and uh, they all change based on what they're supposed to do. And so that gave us an awesome chance to be able to go that final step and make our application actually do something and focus on the cool side of our application, which was actually being able to map some data. Uh, and We didn't have to worry about, you know, user permissions or anything like that. Great, great. And t so tell us about what you built. Uh, I, I, I sure. can tell you as I sit here right now, I'm still excited about what I saw. Sure. So so we originally started with, um, we, we, I went to the, uh, you guys put on a really good uh, workshop that kind of gave me, or gave us uh, you know, a look into what the platform can do, how to use it, you know, kind of followed along with, uh, with the instructions and documentation they had, got it up and running, it was pretty great. So we had to think about, you know, what what could we build in, you know, several hours here uh, on this platform that could not only, you know, show something that could provide, uh, you know, some kind of meaningful solution to a problem or, or add value to, to some kind of product, um, but also kind of take advantage of all the features that, that the 8Base platform provided, you know, given that short amount of time. So we decided that we, um, so Chris has one of the, uh, one of the newer Apple watches that lets you get your like GPS location for when you're running. And the idea was we wanted to build a kind of a visualization framework to kind of show your health activity when, you know, you're working out or just walking around. So we ended up building a combination of uh, some iOS uh, application for the Apple, the, or the iPhone that was able to kind of stream data into the 8Base platform uh, and then we, we built some UI and visualization using uh, Apebase has some uh, React components in their React libraries that they have that are open source. Uh, those are great. Uh, in combination with uh, some, some mapping uh, engines that was made by, uh, I believe it was Uber. So the end idea was, you know, we could build some kind of, uh, probably, you know, a web app used by consumers to see that you know, when I'm working out or running around that you can kind of visualize on a map where I've been, how hard I worked at this one spot, uh, and just kind of gauge the look at the big stream of information and make sense out of it. 
Very, very cool. Yeah, and so what, what we saw yesterday was, you know, we obviously we took a look at the 8Base uh, data store, and we were watching streaming data just show up, showing your heart rate, your speed, you know, all the things you would expect. And uh, you guys built a beautiful user interface, from what we could tell, in the 8Base style. Yeah, so you even used the UI, the UI kit. Um, which 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 brought it, you know, we part of the reason that we thought that you guys should win was not only you had a fully working application, but you actually touched every part of 8Base. Everything from the back end to the permissioning to the GraphQL API to the uh, to the front end and the SDK. Yep. Uh, yes, well, I mean, that is what's required, uh, what it takes to go the whole way. Uh, we had to work with like you said, every bit of the application. I actually even uh, built a mapping engine into the 8Base uh, using the 8Base library there um, for the user interface. And it was really simple to do, and everything was uh, well-written. So, you know, when something's open source and well-written, it's awesome and easy to use. Yeah, yeah. How, how, how important do you guys think developer experience is in, in any product that you use? So like, especially when you have, when, when um, so, you know, it's always, uh, as I guess you could say, depending on the, the problem, it's usually a build versus buy problem for a lot of companies. Like they look around and say, oh, is this, does this product do enough of what I need to do in order for me to decide, hey, that I'm just going to use this and adopt it as opposed to spend my own, you know, internal development time on implementing all these features that already exist here and then having to support that and then make, make bug fixes and et cetera, et cetera. So from, I, I guess you could say, you know, A-Base made a really good, um, had a really good balance of, you know, be, being able to get onto the platform, test it out, run, you know, run samples, run examples, have uh, generally um, approachable documentation that shows you explains all the different features to where, you know, if, 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 I, if I was a company building a product on it, um, it would be a very easy decision to say, hey, this does plenty of features that I would have, have ought to make otherwise, you know, as a UI developer, like doing authentication, uh, securing your database calls, writing, you know, SDKs, that it would make more sense to, you know, adopt something like this platform than it would be to write all, write all myself. Uh, example being like, we've been to other hackathons where we'd spent like three or four hours just trying to hack together our own login system we to do sure. like storing passwords, all that kind of stuff. So, and that let alone you know security calls to the the, the backend kind of uh, backend frameworks. So using that, so basically you know, Eightbase took almost all of the hard work from the backend out of the way, and we just had to focus on coming up with good UI uh, and think and think about our user store and what was the experience to actually like you know log into the page and theming and various other graphics design. And, and what's interesting about what you just said is you had never used 8Base before you walked in. Oh, yeah. I've never used, I've never used uh, GraphQL, so that was kind of fun to learn about, you know, why Facebook <laughs> yeah. built that protocol. But, yeah, never heard of the, never heard of the platform before, and it was, you know, it was pretty fun to work with. Yeah, so, I mean, that's two significant things to learn. You learned those, um, and you, 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 you built something over 24 hours. You know, you mentioned... You know, you've spent three, four hours before just building a login. You know, if we, if we think about the energy that developers have during a hackathon over a 24-hour period, there are 
there are peaks and valleys in your energy. So I, I would imagine that the first three, four hours are probably high energy. And you really want to be spending that on logging. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it makes yeah, it not very really. stressful <laughs> when, when uh, you know, you spend your first three or four hours and you accomplish, you know, something that every application needs. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty sad. It, it, it's funny because that feels like my day-to-day too, <laughs> even when I'm not developing. But but anything you can do to remove that lunchbox work is is awesome. So exactly. um, I would imagine, guys, that the next hackathon, if you were using 8Base, you'd be even that much better at it, right? And go even faster. Oh, definitely. Now, uh, Chris, we're yeah. a great uh, library for actually getting that data into uh, 8Base. Uh, so, I mean, it's it, for me to use uh, as um, a front-end developer, all I had to do was just call a single function, and I was able to get data in and out of 8Base. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. And yeah, what from did you, the Apple Watch. From an Apple Watch, yeah. So most yeah. people don't think that data in and out of an Apple Watch is all that easy, but you guys prove that it, it you guys made it look easy for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, eight-base eight definitely helped. Great. And, um, you know, what uh, are you, do you guys have any plans for the application you built, or was it literally just for the hackathon? And uh, Well, yeah, that's we, always have plans. Uh, we always have plans for our applications. Um, uh, there's definitely more data that we can get from the Apple Watch. Um, we're more of the technical side of, uh, you know, when we design and build these applications, we don't really have a business side to us. Yep. So we, we're not really the idea people. So if some, I mean, we're always open for people, you know, giving us suggestions and, you know, uh, things that we can do with our applications. But generally our applications are just made for a single purpose. And this purpose was, you know, displaying Apple Watch data on a map, you know. So if somebody came to us and said, hey, you know, maybe this would be a great way for you to monitor patients that, you know, are uh, doing an exercise walk around the hospital or something like that, then we could expand and uh, do more. There's always possibilities. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, it it, it, it looked pretty darn good. So it, it looked like somebody had loved the application, which we don't always see, especially in a 24-hour hackathon. So you guys deserve a lot of credit right, for right. that. How, how did you like, so it was your first exposure to GraphQL, right? So what did you think about that? So that's interesting. Um, I've, you know, I've heard about GraphQL for months now. Always just, it was like, ah, I can just use REST APIs. I don't need to go learn whatever this, this thing is that Facebook's using. And, you know, learning, learning curve was, was not bad. I just, it was, uh, you got to find a couple of libraries to, which which one was the the one that was the right fit? You know, do I use this React GraphQL library, or is there a backend one I can use? But in general, you know, it was very easy to hand write, you know, a readable like uh, a human readable string that explained like what properties of what data I want to get from your the server, like the base server, or what kind of data I want to upload to it. Um, generally, it was it was it was very easy to to figure out what, exactly what kind of query I wanted to do, and I didn't have to worry about. I can I could do everything effectively in a single query, as opposed to like traditionally in your uh, your REST applications, you have to make one query to get an ID back, and then you have to make another one to get the data from that ID. Right. And then if there's other data that's related to it, you have to make other requests. So like using the you know using GraphQL was really uh, simplified the 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 motion of moving data around the application. 
across or if you if you hadn't had GraphQL, what would you have had to do? Would you have had to write some queries uh, to the data? Most likely, you would have to. Yeah, we would have to. You know, look at the different REST APIs, handwrite our HTTP interfaces, uh, figure out how those requests are authenticated, and then attach the authentication security mechanisms on it. And then I'd have to write each each you know each depending on each uh, piece of data, you'd have to write a different kind of uh, API or query request. So. Usually that would end up being like a whole, you know, several hundred lines of code. Um, but doing the GraphQL query, so I've simplified that several hundred lines down to like a function call and some text. So Great. it's a lot simpler than, than doing traditional REST. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, um, you know, obviously we believe in it. And, um, it, you know, everything we've talked about is about developers going faster. So... There's probably, probably if you had a spectrum of, you know, when it's important for a developer to go fast or not, a hackathon would profile on the gotta go fast side of the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> gotta go yeah. fast, can't make too many mistakes, uh, right? If you make a mistake, it could be deadly in the hackathon setting. So, you know, I for one, I'm sure I speak for Andre, you know, we hope that we, we, We've, we've imparted on you and the other participants there a tool that, that can be used to win other hackathons and, um, and more importantly, be used in your everyday lives. Yeah, was, uh, we'll, we'll definitely consider using it again. And, uh, and, then, and then, you know, the evolution, as you can imagine, it's a first-generation product. So the evolution will be fast and furious in terms of new capabilities and uh, you know, I think we want you guys to have a say in what that what that is. So you know, we'll talk about that offline. Cool, cool. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love to see love some. To get uh, yeah, that you know, maybe a maybe a view library, view SDK. That'd be great. Yeah. Not really a React person, but I like view. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. Definitely on our roadmap. Yep. Absolutely. Well, listen, guys, we we really appreciate you joining us today. Um, uh, congratulations again. Uh, Andre, thank you very much for, for joining. It's been great to have you here and to, to, to talk about the, the past and the future. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And um, thanks to, to everyone who's listening. Uh, this is 8Base Radio signing off, and we'll be back next week. Thanks so much. Appreciate you joining us for 8Base Radio, hosted by 8Base founder and CEO Albert Santalo. Join us every Monday in prime time at 5 p.m. for a powerful, interactive hour featuring top business leaders, technology trends, and upcoming impacting events in the business world, bringing together the brightest minds in business and tech. This has been 8Base Radio. See you next Monday at 5 p.m. Good night. Good night.